Yeah, increase the gain just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's that's headphone. I'm just gonna talk for a moment to check mine, which okay, I it helps to actually be facing the microphone for that. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, Apple in a surprising turnaround now supports California's right to repair bill. I think it is a good thing for consumers and it will set a precedent for other companies to follow. And uh, who doesn't like the idea of cracking open their Samsung phone that uh, had a battery that expanded unnecessarily over the years and replacing it with something that is, is not going to blow up in your drawer. I also feel like Apple has the least to worry about on the right to repair front, if exactly. we're being totally which honest. Is, which is why I want to talk about this, because it's interesting. Lots to talk about in the gaming space this week. It was Gamescon, Sony announced the PlayStation Portable, bringing back the PSB, baby. Uh, this is something that I'm, I'm very, well, I'm ambivalent on, but I'm hoping Will, by the end of this episode, will convince me otherwise. <laughs> and then there's just a whole bunch of grab bag stuff that we'll get to at the end. YouTube has some new features. Samsung wants us to believe that taping together two <laughs> iPhones will bring you just a little bit closer to that Galaxy Z Fold experience. And the S24 Ultra may finally, finally ditch the curved display. OMG, LOL. <laughs> LMFAO, let's do this. He, everyone Will, now knows it's Friday at 9 a.m. <laughs> like the, Will, the energy Ara, we're bringing. How's it going? It's good. Um, I'm I'm I've got caffeine in me. I'm I'm okay. Yeah, I'm drink. I have two cups of coffee in front of me so that I don't have to interrupt this recording to go get more. Chocolate would have been nice, but I have chocolate cake I can eat after. Mm. There you go. Reward yourself. Reward yourself. Yeah, I was uh, I was sick as a dog last night. Um, oh, so God. I woke up this morning and I had basically convinced myself that I was going to cancel this podcast because mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. like, I, I, I didn't think I could do it. I woke up, my wife like had to like physically remove me from bed this morning. Cause I was just like, I can't, I can't face the world. And then I had a one cup of coffee and my, my whole perspective on life changed. <laughs> so if that's not proof that coffee is, is just the manna of gods, I don't know. I don't know I, what I it think is. it proves it's a highly addictive substance. Shush. Enough. I don't know what you're talking it's, about. I mean, right. I, I say this fully aware of the fact that I am addicted to soda. Like, it's okay for it to be an addiction, so long as we acknowledge it is an addiction. But I, I mean, this is, this is different, because like normally, like yes, obviously I'm addicted to coffee, but normally I can actually get myself out of bed and like get my mm -hmm. kids up and get everything. Like today was just not going to happen for me. and then. By the end of that cup of coffee, I was a new man. So this podcast sponsored um, by coffee, I guess. This podcast is sponsored by the coffee shop that I've been thinking about trying. Like I discovered that one of the Toronto's best coffee shops, well, roasters, but they have mm -hmm. a small uh, shop, is like a five minute drive from me. Okay. And I had never been there, but it's blown up over the last few months, and I am like, okay, now I'm gonna go there, and I am very excited because I actually get to go there today uh so anybody oh, nice. from toronto it's subtext coffee apparently this is like the new hotness in the city so if you're uh if, if you're in like the west end area give it a shot all right let's get into it so apple is changing its tune on 
SB244, which is California's right to repair bill. Uh, this is a bit more of a comprehensive bill than the ones passed in New York and uh, Wisconsin over the last couple of years. This passed through the Senate unanimously in May, and it's going to go to the Assembly for approval. This basically gives Californians the right to repair their products in a way that even if the company has stopped supporting it, they have to provide tools and parts for these products for a period of time. And that goes a bit beyond what the other states have offered. And Apple did not support this bill until very recently. It said that it was kind of warming up to it in some documents that were issued over the course of this bill's proliferation. But it's now changed its tune officially. It says that it supports it as long as it does not undermine security of the products. And, and, and I think this is a very good thing because when California passes a law such as this, it does tend to trickle through the rest of the country because of California's massive size and its relatively high purchasing power, right? So, you know, emissions regulations get passed in California, they tend to get adopted throughout the country. And I think what's really interesting about this, Will, is that it differentiates between products that are under $100 and over $100. And if it's a product that's over $100, companies have to support it for, what is it, seven years after oh, the fact? Wow. Okay. It's one of those things where Apple has been forced in some ways, but, but has been yeah. making meaningful steps to provide self-repair parts for its products. You can now buy these really expensive machines that will allow you to replace your phone's screen or battery or, or whatever. It obviously, we talked about this last week, Apple now offers cheap, or not always cheap, but like relatively inexpensive replacements for, for its batteries inside the store. And this will give people just more ability to fix their products themselves or bring them into a local you know, repair store and not spend two, three hundred dollars for Apple or you know, Samsung or whatever. Like on like service charges. Yeah. Oh my God. It's I mean, it's yeah. crazy how much these companies charge when you bring their out of warranty products <laughs> yeah. into the store for repair. I think this is like a pretty easy layup for Apple because I, I feel like they kind of saw the writing on the wall, right? Introduced their own, you know, self-repair service that they seem to be happy with. I think it's very obviously too technical for most regular users. I'm not talking about maybe people listening to the show, but regular users, your parents perhaps, to get the like suitcase of parts to fix your MacBook or whatever. But I think they're happy with that and have enough control over that program that there's no reason to not just kind of throw their support behind bills like this that are compromised enough. And I mean that in a mostly good way. There's nothing harmful in here that will like really cut out their bottom line. Like, I think it's just like an easy PR win. You know what I mean? And I'm not, again, this sounds negative. I'm not being negative, but I, I think like it makes a lot of sense of like, why they would suddenly be like, you know what? Yeah, like we, we've got this program going, like it's working well. Let's put our name behind it. And, and especially in California, like we're, they're a California based company. Like, yeah, we're, we're good with this. 
Basically, Apple has all of its work done already. They're going to have to provide parts for older phones for longer. But so long as they are allowed to charge semi-reasonable prices for these parts, like, they don't have to provide them for free. I know that. But it becomes a matter of, oh, we we already have our pretty robust repair process in-house. And then if somebody spends however much on those replacement part kits and then breaks the phone anyway, that's Apple getting to double dip. I think what's interesting here is, you know, Apple's a company that is very deliberate about the legislation that it supports. Obviously, if it has a vested interest in supporting, let's say, legislation around encryption, right? Or, or, or AI ethics or whatever it might be. This is a company that does not support anything if it believes that it will affect the bottom line. And what it says in its filing is that Apple already, in 2019, we expanded our repair offerings to include the independent repair provider program that grants repair providers of all sizes access to the same resources and gives them the option to use genuine parts or other parts to offer repairs to consumers. This program now has grown to over 4,500 locations worldwide, and there are over 100,000 active technicians across our repair channels. In 2022, Apple introduced the self-service repair program, which provides individual device owners with manuals and access to parts and tools to repair most iPhone, iMac, and Mac products manufactured in, tw- manufactured in 2022 or onward. So I think Apple sees this as not just a PR win, but also a way to keep people in the ecosystem, right? If you have somebody who knows that they can repair their own iPhone and balks at the idea of going to an Apple store to spend $400 for a screen replacement, they're likely going to stay using an iPhone. But if they have no option to do that and they're not willing to spend the $400, why not go to a manufacturer that's a bit more friendly or cheaper when it comes to part replacements? This is something that Apple has has acknowledged that like, especially with the change this year to USB-C, right? They have been put under the ringer in the EU. And by supporting this law, they're preventing being forced to do so down the road. Or they maybe saw the writing on the wall in the EU with their own right to repair policies. And they're like, well, we have all of this infrastructure already. This is the most meaningfully impactful law that we've seen in the US. Let's just change our tune and let others follow. So Apple's now not just a leader in this space, but they're also doing so without having to meaningfully change the ability to get into their products, right? They're not being forced to remove IP ratings. They're not being forced to make their batteries like any more user replaceable. They're not making their phones easier to repair, right? They're making them available for repair in a more equitable way. And I mean, I bring this up in an Android podcast largely because this is good for the industry in general, but because like Google has a terrible reputation oh, when yeah. it comes to post-sales RMA support and repairs. I feel like I've never seen a good story about Google's post-sales support. Okay, fair fair enough. I just, like, anytime I'm on Reddit, even when people are like, yeah, like, I got it fixed, it's always like, 
but it was like I had to jump through like 15 hoops and it took three months. Well, there there are only two modes for a Google hardware repair. Uh, yeah. And I have both of them. It is the the literally like 4.30 a.m. the morning of my twin's wedding. Uh, I get woken up by my pixel screen being super freaking bright and the thing being completely and utterly bricked. I get on my laptop, I email Google support and start the process. And before breakfast, I have another phone being shipped to my parents' house. So that way I can have it without having to drive all the way back to Waco on top of driving mm-hmm. back to Austin. And that was perfectly seamless. But it was also a clearly like, I went to bed and this phone was fine. This phone was on a nightstand. It didn't fall off anything. Here is the picture of it being screwed. Uh, So I had a very cut and dry case and it was a very cut and dry. Okay, yeah, you need an RMA replacement. There's nothing to do there. My nightmare story was my Pixelbook because that was very close to being out of warranty. And it was a repair, not a replace. So it was a matter of, oh, you have to send this off. It has to get the stuff done and then it needs to come back. And then it got lost in, it got lost somewhere for two months. I can't remember if it got stuck in, I can't remember if it got stuck at the repair place for two months or if they had sent it back but didn't send the right thing. And so it had been sitting in a FedEx warehouse in Waco for two months. That shouldn't happen. Like, I I just, I don't know how else to say, like, a company of Google's size should not be dealing with that. And, like, it'd be one thing if you were, like, an outlier, Ara, but, like, I see that stuff all the time and it's like yes this program exists for people who are or or apple's program exists for people who are technical enough to to do it themselves but the vast majority of people also are just happy to be like well there's like an apple store like 30 minutes away from me i can just take it in to get worked on and like the fact that both exist is like crucial i think we're also ignoring the fact that they said that apple will have to supply these parts to other right. repair shops as well. They don't only have to give it to Apple. But that also will help continue to bolster the uh, the fact that iPhones are significantly easier to repair or at least find places to repair to, to get them than fixed. any Android phone. Well, and to Daniel's point about keeping people in the ecosystem, you know, it's like, let's say you have an iPhone, I don't know, you have an iPhone 11 and you drop it on cement and it the screen shatters. And I mean, like, unusably shatters you have like two options right you're like okay well i guess i could go buy like a new one but like oh apple's iphone start at like 800 dollars. with this program it's much easier to get it fixed for a cheap and so instead of looking at like well i have 400 dollars to spend on this i don't have 800 dollars to spend on this instead of being like well like the you know the pixel 7a is on sale like i guess i'm not that locked into ios like no you just go get your phone fixed and like there you're not leaving and like People will do that because they do like iPhones and it is easier to just do that. And, and like people would be happy to just spend the money on that instead. It, it provides essentially cheaper iPhones because it's just your current iPhone just fixed. Yeah. Well, and especially with being able to get the battery replaced when the rest of the phone is still fine. Like the majority of the time when my parents' phones wear out, it's that the battery has started to go, not that anything else has started to go. My mom is still using an iPhone 10 and like it has been a discussion for <laughs> 18 months now of like, how can we get you off this? It, it, but like the I, my mom works from home, so it's not a big deal. Like like but like it's basically plugged in all day when we were on vacation or like we were at the cottage and my parents came up like halfway through our like the vacation I was on. And I guess just like on the way there, it like 
stopped working completely for like 45 minutes or something like it it has served its purpose she but she got it you know almost six years ago like i mean the other thing is this is the last like so the iphone 10 iphone 8 and 8 plus are getting cut off this year so ios 16 will be the last update they get which work her job will probably like be the other reason she ends up getting a new phone is because like they probably they usually want her to be a little like they usually wait like two weeks but then they're like okay you have to update yeah, but your phone the, now. the reality is that this is apple's like advantage still samsung oh, absolutely will give oh, you absolutely. four five years of security updates but they're still only giving you four years of platform updates i mean there is an argument to be made that at a certain point the new version upgrades hurt an old phone more than they help that's long yeah, been a contention yeah. of iphone owners that newer versions slow down yeah. their, their well phones. i mean I, I i i feel like that happens too I think that's anecdotal well i would that's what i was going to say is that yeah, like, i don't know how much i i think i do think people especially weirdly for as much as people love their iphones they also love to be like oh apple's screwing with it it's I've, I've owned it for two years in one month and suddenly look at all these problems like it, it is weird how quickly people will jump to well, like four stop and i look something listen, is i know perfect when we buy it and then it's not perfect once people get their hands on it and because yeah, you've it. loaded it with files and you've used it for two oh, years like, I, like no, there's no such a- thing as files on an iphone so clearly that's <laughs> not the reason there is a files app on the iphone we all know this it's the most limited <laughs> file browser you'll ever touch but it's there (laughs) but going back to the repair stuff apple used to make other parts of the phone not work or unusable if you repaired yes the screen or the battery or the i mean it's still kind of like like, i like i'm i am pretty sure you have to use like if you replace the logic board on a on a mac it has to have touch id like paired with it or it won't work yeah it does but apple stopped breaking that on iphones Right. So starting with the iPhone 13, if you repaired the Touch ID or, or sorry, the um, Face ID hardware, you would normally have to also replace the microcontroller to be a genuine part because Apple just didn't want people not using genuine Face ID hardware. They stopped doing that. I mean, they used to do the same with the Touch ID controller. Apple has slowly but surely moved away from this idea that a non-genuine Apple part is going to break your phone. I mean, they obviously still believe that it's less safe, right? But they're offering genuine hardware to repair these things. So a repair store can now buy a proper Apple-approved screen replacement. Well, that's what I think has helped driving this because I think, yes, they aren't as strict about, yes, you need genuine Apple parts for every single thing. But by expanding these programs and offering like, oh, we have official parts for literally all of this. It also helps strengthen the security because if somebody repairs an iPhone and doesn't use original parts or the, and the shop didn't use original Apple parts and the phone breaks, the person is going to complain to Apple, not complain to the repair shop. Okay, so I want to bring this all the way around to finish talking about Samsung here. So back in early August, Samsung and You Break I Fix partnered on this idea of expanding 50 stores across the U.S. to be, quote, flagship stores for Samsung repairs. What that means is essentially, if you go to a You Break, I Fix that is part of this program, you can take for granted that you're going to get genuine Samsung parts, and that repair will be done by somebody who has been trained on how to repair Samsung products. So it's not just a random kid 
who didn't get any training screwing up your device. And I think that's excellent. And Samsung still has a lot more work to do because it does not have nearly the number of official Samsung stores as Apple does. But this is something that Android users and Samsung users in particular have been asking for is we have all these foldables now. You're, you know, we're four years into the foldable journey. We should be able to take for granted that you walk into a store and you can leave, maybe, maybe not leave that day, but like leave the phone overnight or whatever, and that your phone will be repaired. Uh, and just this, there aren't enough Samsung stores, official Samsung stores in the US and across the world to make that available to most people the way that there is for, for Apple. So Samsung now offers self-repair kits through iFixit. It now offers these official repair kiosks at you break i fix and hopefully this leads to samsung owners feeling a little bit more secure that their devices are going to be easily repairable and if this law passes in california that will only get better for every phone manufacturer they'll have to be i mean once you have to build up the products and the pricing and everything for one american market you might as well sell it in the others exactly that's why this is such a landmark law because samsung will be forced to offer devices parts for seven years on all of its phones after they are discontinued so if the product is between 50 and 100 dollars, vendors need to be stocked for three years after the last date of manufacture so if, once the product is stopped being manufactured, they have to keep products for three more years and seven years if it's over $100, which basically applies to every single phone on the market today. This is a huge deal. So iFixit is having a field day on this because they get to stock all of these parts that Samsung and Apple and Google will inevitably have to keep making even once they discontinue the products. But I just think this is, a, is an amazing turn of events for the right to repair movement. And, you know, it's about damn time. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about some gaming stuff. So, Will, walk us through what's happened on the gaming front this week. It's Gamescom. Our own Manuel Vonau has been there in Germany. Um, talking to developers on their latest Android games. We've got a bunch of coverage on the site, previewing some really interesting games. So go check that out. But this has just been a very interesting week when it comes to mobile gaming in general. So, so walk us through what was announced here. Yeah, so Qualcomm announced, I guess, like three new chips, basically, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But really only... For most people, only really one is worth focusing on. So there's the G1, the G2, and the G3X Gen 2. Because, because of course. We couldn't... Of course. <laughs> I love you, Qualcomm, but come on. Um, no, uh, so basically, like, the G1 is designed for lower-end devices targeting, like, $200 or even less, basically for, like, local play over your home Wi-Fi network. The G2 chip is like fairly similar in terms of power, but adds um, 5G and improved uh, Wi-Fi 6E support. So like, you know, faster speeds and also you can go play cloud games in the park or whatever. The G3X Gen 2 is kind of like the 
chip I think most people would be interested in because it is similar to like the chip powering the Steam Deck, for example. Like it is, it has like a fairly powerful eight core CPU. And if listeners remember the Razer Edge, it is the successor to the chip that's in there. I believe the GPU is twice as powerful, I, I think is what they said. It supports Wi-Fi 7. It supports PCIe Gen 4 SSDs that you could find in like a PC or whatever. Like a that's what the PS5 requires. I will say The Verge had a really interesting interview with the team behind this. And like, I think there's two sides of this. So there's there's the one side, which is like we can talk about the Android side of this because Android powered gaming handhelds as a whole are like really having a moment and have been for like a year or two now. Like there are so many like random Chinese OEMs making the perfect devices for emulation like ever. Are they having a moment or are they trying to make fetch happen? Like that's what I like, can't quite figure out. There's like a rabbit hole for you to stumble down of like fans of these devices. Like there's YouTube communities and Reddit communities. Like I think it might have started as that, but I think the fan base I think is there. We're also, I people think we're like also these. to the point that enough people that grew up on like Game Boy and yeah. like original PSP and whatnot are old enough and have enough disposable income that it's like yeah, I mean, gaming on my phone is okay, but yeah. I miss having a gaming thing in my hands that's dedicated to gaming. No, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. I'm just saying, like, the Steam Deck is sure. is like a, a significant cultural milestone. Yeah, the the Steam Deck is also an amazing emulation tool, sure. right? Right. It is. I also think Steam Deck is also a little bit more on the complicated side of that scale as opposed to the stuff we've seen at Gamescom. Sure, absolutely. I just think like. It's hard to justify spending something for just emulation. And in many cases, it feels like without the games to back it up, like nobody, yes, you have Dead Cells and some decent AAA titles on Android natively, but unless you are really falling down that emulation rabbit hole, I find it difficult to understand why somebody would want an ARM-based, Android-powered gaming handheld in a world where like, the A and Neos and Lenovo and Steam Deck are providing access to all of it, right? You have your Steam library, you have emulation. It is complex, but a lot of these emulation tools like need to be complex because a lot of them are not legal. Uh, the tools themselves are legal, but most people are are pirating games. So no, like, all of my ROMs are legally ripped from copies I own, Daniel, and you can't <laughs> prove otherwise. <laughs> okay, Will, you tell yourself that. <laughs> I just find it hilarious that like nobody really acknowledges the reality of, of, of emulation. Like everybody is, is stealing and it's like, okay, fine. But like how easy do these companies want to make that ability versus buying remasters of every single game inevitably? Like Quake 2 just got a remaster. I've played the original Quake 2 on my Steam Deck. It's fun. It's great. It's a good game. I would probably prefer to play the remaster because it's got care. It's been rebuilt for modern platforms and consoles. Yeah, but how many remasters were honestly just like poorly done or were completely half-assed as just a regular like money grab? We've seen so many of those in the last like 10, 15 years. I understand that. And yes, I would always advocate for the legal version of these games whenever it is available. But come on, you can't expect Disney to, well, no, Disney has remastered a lot of them. But for so many of these like 10, 20, possibly 30 year old games, 
there's no way for a lot of these games to be emulated because even if the company still existed and even if there were some files remaining, you would still have to build the damn thing over from scratch. A hundred percent. I'm not arguing that everything needs to be above board here, especially if you just, you know, you could approach this in a highfalutin game preservation way, right? Like, I'm keeping these games on my hard drive because, like, who knows what these companies are going to do to the game, right? Like, Nintendo is shutting off access to older stores soon. Like, and the, game the preservation, 360 marketplace is shutting down. And yeah, the 360 yeah. marketplace is going away next year. Sony just shut down the PS3 store, the PSP store. Like, these are games that may never come back if you don't already have them. So I, I totally understand it from that perspective. And, like, if you're not Nintendo, you're not going to be litigious about this either, right? Sony's not chasing down uh, gamers <laughs> that are that are like playing a, an emulated PSP game on their Steam Deck, I hope. I think there's two communities here. To your point, I think there is just a big community of people who are like, well, I really love emulation. You know, the Steam Deck does work great for that, but there are two big flaws with the Steam Deck that I think, uh, well, I was going to give it away. It's It's size and it's cost, right? So you can buy these Android handhelds for like, 100 to 150 dollars they can at this point are powerful enough to emulate like up to gamecube like sometimes we like that's fairly yeah. impressive i would say right and yeah. so if all you're after is a way to play psp and ps2 and earlier you know every 8 or 16-bit game ever like all the classic handhelds whatever right like why spend minimum 400 dollars, or i guess they have their refurbs, but whatever. Minimum $400 on a Steam Deck that is also bulky and way more than you need when you can get... Look, I bought a year ago, I bought a Retroid Pocket 3, which is one of these, right? Like, it literally uses the 4.7-inch display that Apple used forever on their iPhones. It's the exact same, like, weird resolution. Like, it's definitely just the same screen. And it's great for, like, that kind of, like, I want to play a GBA game that I legally ripped from a copy I own. Yes. That happens all the time. <laughs> and I don't know. It's nice to have something that is like bigger than a PSP, I guess, because it's a 4.7 inch screen, but it's much smaller than my Switch. It, I don't have a Steam Deck, but it would be much smaller than a, a Steam Deck. So I, I think there's a market for that. And they come in various shapes. There's, you know, whether you want it to look like a, a Game Boy or a PSP, there's a clamshell one that Retroid makes now. It looks like a DS, but it doesn't have the second screen. It's kind of weird. It's like begging for the second screen. And then there's the market you're talking about, which is where the Steam Deck exists. And I do think that's where the G3X Gen 2 chip that Qualcomm announced this week kind of comes in. Because like in this interview that The Verge did, they won't directly admit to like... So, okay, so they're working... They say they're working on stuff in-house that's not Android. It might also not be Windows. They were not... They did not give away the game there, but they are testing compatibility layers that would let people play windows games on whatever handheld they're building which is essentially a steam deck rival right but like not in the like asus way where like we made a windows handheld but like if they're not using windows then, then that is the closest thing we've seen to the steam deck since the steam deck where it's like essentially just like <laughs> allowing you to play windows games sure. on an os that isn't windows and i think that's interesting what because... happens to battery life when you're emulating x86 code to arm well, like like I, this you, you the steam deck that's like, it's not, not it. great like, right 
the, the Steam Deck is built with an AMD processor. It's an x86 processor. The emulation layer sure. is, the Proton layer is Windows to Linux, right? This is sure. a whole Fair. different level of translation, right? This is what the M1 did so well. True. It took Intel code and essentially made it usable on ARM. And Apple is the only company to have done this properly, right? Windows still t has terrible yeah. ARM, x86 to ARM emulation. Awful. Just ask anybody who's used like a Surface Pro X, like how long their battery lasts oh, when they're spending yeah. time in x86 apps Fair all day. Like, not, not a ton. So right. I'm, I, I, I totally get it. Like obviously Qualcomm wants to be able to offer the full array of games right? And it would probably can at some point. And if the Orion movement is good, right? If the Orion chips that it's launching later this year in October are good, then that is absolutely something that Qualcomm will be able to do in the future because these chips will be extremely powerful and hopefully comparable to the Apple M series in terms of efficiency. But these G series chips are not based on Orion architecture. They are based on the Snapdragon 8 architecture with higher clock speeds and a bigger thermal window. You know, the, the HN3 or the, the G, what the, what the hell is it called? The Gen 3 X2 Pro. This, the new chip? The current, yeah. the, uh, the G3X Gen 2, obviously, Daniel. Ah. I mean, come on. It's so, it's so <laughs> clear and straightforward. Um, you know, this is, this is going to have a, what is it, 15 to 18 watt thermal yeah. draw, which is a hell of a lot bigger than any Android device today. It's going to be actively cooled, right? So it'll be demonstrably more powerful. I mean, we're talking like what's happening on the Quest 3 and the Quest Pro, right? Those are Qualcomm powered devices. Active cooling makes a huge difference with ARM devices. But yeah, I, I just don't think the architecture is built for it yet. And I think that- No, and, and I totally agree with you. I think the issue right now, right, is that that's what they're saying they want to get to. They're obviously not there right now. It's, otherwise, they would be talking about it. The problem is, is that I think, obviously, there's a market for the Steam Deck, right? That's, it's a success. Obviously, I would argue there is a market for these enthusiasts hundred dollar emulation machines that people you know it's niche but there is like a fan base for them i don't know these handhelds anything powered by the snapdragon g3x gen 2 it, it, it's going to be too expensive and then not it's you know you're going to quickly bump up against the pricing of the steam deck at 400 dollars for an entry level or god again the refurbs are like 330 bucks like you're going to bump up against that and then yeah you're going to just have android games or streaming so you're going to have look i love dead cells but like that is what you'll have you'll have vampire survivors another great game but like you will get tired of them and then you will look at someone playing armored core 6 on their steam deck and you will feel like a fool nobody's <laughs> that's the thing though is that like I'm on our Steam Deck all the time, and people are complaining that modern games, yeah. games released this year, are largely unplayable now on the Steam Deck. Oh, well, I mean, I think Armored Core 6 will probably be fine. Like, I feel like a lot of people are mad that, like, Baldur's Gate 3 runs, like, shit on it. But also, obviously, like, I, I don't know what, like, it wasn't a particularly powerful handheld when it shipped 
18 months ago, right? Like we're pretty late into the, as far as PC gaming is concerned, I know consoles are obviously very different. We're on year six of the Switch, right? Uh, seven, I, don't, I guess it depends on how you count your years. Um, but like, I don't know what people expect. Like, I, like I am not surprised that the Steam Deck is already like kind of being left behind by like cutting edge, you know, PC games and you're kind of limited to the stuff that came out last year or even before i think that was to be expected but also i guess the steam deck is such a breakout and and maybe bringing new people into pc gaming that that it's it's caught people by surprise yeah i think the steam deck is good because of the software though right the hardware as you said was never the thing it was the steam os layer that allowed you to do so much and be so customized and also play some relatively new titles at decent frame rates you know the rog ally much more performant than the steam deck right the new some of the new aoneo devices much more performant than the steam deck but their software is garbage it's just an app built into windows which is still not really optimized and a lot of people were upset that the rg ally with all of this power with a much better screen with arguably better aesthetics and a smaller more portable form factor did not live up to the expectations because it's really just a subpar Windows experience on mobile. And what I think is interesting about the Qualcomm strategy here is that it's ARM first, it will always run Android. And I mean, presumably, right? It's possible that a company would put Windows on one of these chips, but like, I don't see it happening natively just for all of the compatibility issues that we talked about. And I think the way to go here is that Qualcomm is saying more developers like are working with say Netflix and even Google to port over higher quality uh I I don't know if you can say triple A but like double A titles to mobile because Unity and Unreal have these tools built into their development process to make them relatively easy to port over and scale across multiple form factors and performance layers. So I don't know. I mean there's definitely an argument to be made that this is a good move and like you pointed out that there's this company ayn ain i don't know how you pronounce yeah, it yeah that's making like a snapdragon 8 gen 2 powered gaming handheld for like 250 bucks yeah like 300 dollars, i think for the less than 300 dollars for the entry level model which is, also has eight gigs of ram and it's like that's basically what these snapdragon handhelds would have to do because like it's not a lot cheaper, but it is cheaper than the Steam Deck, right? Like, it's it's like, it, it, Valve has really put these brands in, like, such a weird, like, I mean, that's why, like, the Razer Edge just, like, came and went, because it was, like, who can justify this at the at this price? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, it's, it is fascinating that, that something like this exists, although, obviously, I think Qualcomm would rather uh, these companies use the, the gaming-focused chips, but... Uh, but yeah, but it also like the, mm-hmm. the Razer Edge came during a time sort of like crypto where everybody was talking Did about it launch the same month Stadia shut down as the next big thing. I want to say it, I, th- <laughs> I want to say it did. It, it could have been. I mean, that whole thing is a blur. But Stadia shutting down was really like the death knell for not yeah. cloud streaming itself, but like yeah. the hype around cloud streaming. Nobody expects it to be as good as we thought it would have been three years ago, right? It's still got lag issues. It's still got 
just every possible issue that you would expect from having from, from I mean, GeForce Now, I think, does it the best, arguably. And GeForce Now just had a massive announcement that it's partnering with Xbox, uh, with Microsoft to bring uh, some Activision games to GeForce Now, uh, which is kind of cool. So, you know, there's GeForce Now has is far and away the better product here, but it's expensive and it might not be for everybody. Oh, yeah. But I just think the shine has worn off game streaming in general. Microsoft doesn't talk about it nearly as much as part of Game Pass as it used to. I'm not going to mention five streaming because I firmly believe that unless you unless the stars align in certain streets in certain cities in the world, you are not doing any high quality gaming on a streaming uh, game streaming out in public. And if you are home, the question then becomes, why are you doing it on? the handheld instead of the big screen unless it's just a matter of i really just want to go back to my childhood and sit uh sit uh lay on the bed and game for the next like five or six hours while in a comfortable position this feels like a great transition into the psp yes it does (laughs) yes bring back the psp all right so this week sony for some reason uh announced that project q is now called the playstation portal it is a $200 handheld that does what? I swear we talked about this when they announced it, but it is essentially an 8-inch tablet that splits a dual sense in half on both sides. It's not, you can't take the tablet out or whatever. It's like one thing. It just remotely connects to your PS5 over Wi-Fi using a new, uh, It it's not just remote play which obviously has been around for playstation consoles since the ps4 it is like its own i think they're calling it link i can't remember but like it's its own thing so like the idea is that like when you turn on the handheld like it just automatically connects to the ps5 you don't have to like launch an app and then wait for the console to boot and wait for them to like talk to each other the idea is that it's like because sony can control the hardware on both sides it is like it is immediate. It is more responsive. It is, you know, less laggy. If it works well, like if it works at the, okay. So let me, people have obviously been negative on this thing since they announced it a couple months ago. I, I don't really blame them. It looks very silly, like deeply silly, but I'm going to offer like a half-hearted defense of this while also acknowledging I won't be buying it. If the, Streaming in your house works as well as mirroring on the Wii U gamepad did. Uh, hi, I, I owned a Wii U, or I own a Wii U. It's, it's like five feet away from me. Then I think this is like kind of a successful product. I think $200 is not like a terrible price considering a backbone is $100 uh, and you're getting an eight inch 16 by nine screen that, you know, is not AMOLED, but is like, far bigger than the you know like yes the the s23 i'm just getting in the way of daniel's arguments before he says them yes the the s23 ultra <laughs> is uh a 6.8 inch screen but it's also super tall versus like of actual 16 by 9 8 inch screen which will feel much bigger when you're playing video games on it it won't be for everyone but the price i mean like a dual sense controller is 70 bucks so like you could argue that like well it's not like yes it's more than twice as much but it's not three times as much if it works well, like that is all like I am hanging my hat on that. But like if they can basically make it feel like you are playing locally, like it is just a controller. And instead of looking at your TV, you're looking at the screen that's in the middle of it. I think it might make some sense for some 
people because I don't know, like to Ara's point, yes, why are you not playing on your TV? I don't know. I like to lounge around my house sometimes. I like to have a YouTube video. I've been working through the John Boys documentaries on, I hope the S isn't silent, the secret base stuff. I've been watching all his football documentaries. They're fascinating on YouTube. Go watch them. He's doing one on the Minnesota Vikings right now. I think there are like times where I just kind of want something in my hands. And yes, you can do this with a phone and a backbone. But not for the variety of games that something like a PSP or a Steam Deck will be able to. (laughs) You know, if you paired an S23 Ultra with the backbone, it will basically do this. But it is on a smaller screen. And I think more importantly, look, I have... (laughs) a stupid amount of phones around my house right now. Yes, you do. Most people have one phone. I can grab the S23 Ultra that is currently not being used for anything, put it in a backbone and stream to it. And then if someone texts me, I have another phone next to me that actually has my SIM card in it. Most people do not have that because they're sane and they don't work this job. And as someone who has like streamed before I was phones editor here, like streamed to like, it is annoying to be like, oh, I have to respond to this text message. I have to hop out of the, ad. like there is a reason where like, if you like the idea of lounging and playing on your phone while someone like while, while your partner watches television or whatever, there is a big advantage to something like this where you're not getting notifications that you have to hop out of. Like I do think for $200 for some people, if it works well, It makes sense. And that's my caveat ridden defense of the new PSP. I mean, $200 is perfectly fine. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's right. I think it's, I think think it's fine pricing. I think if any other company charged $200 for this, it would be laughable. But Sony somehow has built a tax into its PlayStation portfolio that people have accepted. That's true. I guess I am looking at it and being like, well, the. Listen, you pay a tax for Sony across (laughs) the board. I'm looking at it and being like, well, the DualSense is 70 as if that's not stupid pricing. <laughs> like, well, also like the PSVR 2 is $500. Well, no, no, I will not defend that. That's stupid They, they just launched a pair of earbuds that are $200. That are also $200. For, and guess what? They're not Bluetooth. They work with a dongle. Ew. <laughs> so here's the thing. PS5 Remote Play, in my experience, is quite bad. Like I have a very, very good uh Do you have a PS5 or a PS4? Work. I have a PS5. Okay. It does not Because it work is better on the PS5. Yeah, but it doesn't work reliably for me. Sure. What Sony is saying here is that this PlayStation Link standard or whatever they're calling a protocol is proprietary and it is sort of like what Sonos does where it hitches a ride on your local network, but it is not using the same ports and the same, it carves out its own bandwidth on your network so that it's not going to get held up by other things going on in your network. And to that end, I actually think if you're willing to spend $200 for this, Sony says it will just work. You turn it on, it connects to your PS5, and you're basically, you have a local PS5 experience on your handheld anywhere in your house. That might be quite useful in many situations, but the fact that this will not play streamed games when that launches is a huge miss. And I think Sony knows this. I agree. I think it's a miss. I, I, it's a huge like, miss, Ara. Like, yeah. you, you have a Wi-Fi connection on the thing. You can't leave your house with this $200 accessory. So you can go to other networks and connect to your PS5. It just won't use Link. It will just use Remote Play, I believe. The thing you can't do Correct, is, which is any cloud gaming. Sure, right. which I, I think yeah. will be a poor experience. Terrible. Yeah, it, no, it won't. I've, I have tried Remote Play not on my local network. Like, I have had a decent time with Remote Play personally, 
But I do think the second you're not on the same network as your PS5, it is uh, unusable. I would love to know if anybody here is interested in any of these handheld gaming systems. So send us an email, podcast at Android Police. We want to hear from you. Uh, we got to run through the last few things on the show, Lotes, because we <laughs> we went long on all the other can, stuff. Can we talk about the, the Z Fold 5 promo first? I want to jump right to this. Yes, go for it. So Sony, <laughs> Sony, Samsung wants you to pretend that two iPhones are a Galaxy Z Fold 5. I actually think this is a clever marketing it, it gimmick, is. to be yeah. honest, but it's also extremely stupid. So we'll walk us through what this <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, so it's basically, for a while, Samsung has had a Tri-Galaxy like, website. It's, it's not a full-blown app in the app store but you go there you add a bookmark to your home page on, on an iphone and it like mirrors one ui like it makes it look like a galaxy s23 plus or whatever and it kind of lets you get a feel of like here's what you, you know your life would be like if you were using a samsung phone and to allow people to try the foldable lifestyle they have decided that the best way to do that is that they have developed a system where you link two iphones together side by side you select which one is the left and which one is the right. You share codes between them. And then you get this like, here's what your home screen would be. You know, you can play this weird air hockey game. Here's a demo of how like multitasking works. And you've got a video up here and you're dragging and dropping photos into this messaging app on the other phone. And and which would probably have worked better if I hadn't wrapped two iPhones in duct tape when I was testing. this. I love this photo that thank you've taken you. by the way i think it is just thank genius. you yeah it's uh i don't remember i want to say stephen shank suggested uh this and i was like all right yeah i have to go take photos of this so yeah i took my iphone and my girlfriend's iphone which is comically older and it is an iphone 11 next to an iphone 14 pro max so the sizes are not exact it does tell you it's like you should use uh, two iphones that are the same size and i said nope and i so i used two different sized iphones it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. The demo works fine. Like stuff in between, you know, I wouldn't say the air hockey game feels great, but it is playing in a browser. So I'm not going to hold them responsible for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a funny demo. You know, if you have two iPhones around and you want to try it, like it's worth five minutes of your time. I just think it's hilarious that you're going to have to like likely ask your partner to oh, give yeah. up their iPhone for a few minutes. <laughs> and I did. So that she you could was try using this. it. Maddie was I'm like, can I? And then at the end of that, they're expected to be like, isn't this cool? Can't I buy this $1,800 phone, honey? And she's like, uh, do we lose iMessage? And you're like, yeah, yeah we sure do. Like, there's yeah. Telegram. And she's like, no, you can't buy it. Like, I just, I, this conversation is going to go the same in almost every house where this is tried. And I just love that inevitability. It is extremely funny to me that Samsung thinks that it can entice iPhone owners <laughs> using this, this tool. I mean, it is a very smart marketing gimmick. It is getting more press than it deserves. Absolutely. But it, it's still just an extremely funny situation that I think will play out the same in most places. I wish that instead of it being two iPhones, it would do this with like an iPad sure. or something. Yeah, but I mean, so that's... that way it could give you an, a similar aspect of like the size of the screen and what you can do with it, like show like the multi window and whatnot. Because yeah, just holding two phones and having something matched between them isn't gonna. That's why you gotta much. grab a roll of duct tape? That's it. It's, it's the perfect tool for all situations. I'm also just flashing back to the duo into that ridiculous uh, that uh, that accessory for one of the yeah. LG phones that was a secondary yeah. screen. Oh, I still have that. 
That thing is a beast. The <laughs> LG V60, baby. That was the best phone ever made. Okay. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Okay. <laughs> All right. You need more coffee, dude. This thing dude. was underrated. It was before its time. Mm-hmm. Nobody gave the phone that it deserved, the respect it deserved. This thing, yeah, I'm still using my V60. I have been for seven years no, now. No, you're not. <laughs> it's in a drawer. <laughs> It is definitely in a drawer. So is the foldable accessory, which I just think is incredible. So when LG announced the first version of this, I forget which one it was for. I think the V40. Yeah. I walked into this conference room. I think it was in Barcelona. And they all had us sitting around a table. And they announced this phone under embargo. And then they're like, but it's also a foldable. And they give us this accessory to try on. And it was the most embarrassing moment I can remember. Nobody was like, oh, God. oh my God, this is incredible. They're like, uh, what? <laughs> what is this? Like, why is this a thing? It was just, it was so funny. Obviously, after we used it and we realized it was actually quite interesting, right? Yeah. Like, LG had some good ideas. What was the one that looked like a boomerang? Um, the wing? Oh, yeah. yeah. The LG wing? Like, perfect. No, I, no. Miss, I miss LG so much. I really do. I do, too. So many good fun. ideas wasted. Yeah, um, absolutely. One day, I just want to do an LG retrospective, like going back to the LG G2 in like yeah. 2010, 2011. Yeah. All the way through the end of LG's lineup. Like, they had some, the LG G5, like we could do a whole episode oh on my G5. God. They're friends and all the friends. We have to. We have Uh, to do that. I'm trying to remember. Was the G4 or the G5 the one with the swappable back plates, and it was slightly G3. So start with the G3. Yeah, the G3 was super curved. Which the G4 was was a bit more curved, and it had leather, and it was like a big deal. Yes, but they did that earlier. They did that with the phone that was curved. The G Flex. The Flex. Yes. Yes. They started that with the flex. Guys, we but can't. Was... We can't do this. Now. We can't okay, do. It. We yeah, gotta yeah. save we the, time. Save we it for time. the retrospective. We, we will do this. Okay, I'm into I, um, this idea. Let, let's let's burn through these YouTube ones. So YouTube is testing. This is just like I lo- I love how evil YouTube is right now. It's just like they're pissing everybody off. I know. Um, they're making the the skip ad button harder to see. Yeah. When it shows up on ads, like. It's so good. I, I think this is excellent. It's like a week after I gave my defense of them, like, you know, making sure pe- like people actually watch their ads or whatever. And they're like, oh, good. People are defending us. Here's a smaller skip ad button. Fuck you guys. <laughs> like, I mean, it's I, still there. It's not that they're trying to hide it like they are on Twitter. No, it, but it's it, still, oh God. has that's... completely <sighs> hidden the fact that a tweet is an ad now. It's, it's like in the corner and covered by other UI elements. Yeah, like, it's, it's great just like, job, that's, guys. that's evil. This at least yeah. is just like, look, like I would prefer you don't click on this skip <laughs> ad button, but it's still I'm, there I, if you want it. They should start moving it around the window. They're like, now it's up here. It's oh, like on this yeah, one. No, it's they should the... say that like, it's for, it's to prevent burn-in on OLED displays. We've there moved we go. it around into a random place. <laughs> You, it's like the DVD menu like thing. It just bounces everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You, you, know, have, you have to. And to if you accidentally it. click on the video, you get that's an ad click. Right. So they're gamifying <laughs> yeah. the skip ad button. That's, that's actually smart. Uh, so that's a thing. They're testing it out. And then the other thing that YouTube is doing that pissed people off this week is that it added rounded corners to its player. Yeah, this is so stupid. Like, I, I, it's not a thing to <laughs> yeah. actually get mad about, but like, it's clear. It like. It looks like it's trying to match the like curved edges of thumbnails, but like 
I know you're not eliminating much of the video, but you are eliminating part of the video unless you watch it in theater mode or full screen. And it's it's just stupid. Like, I so don't. This is desktop only, by the way. It is desktop only. But it's yeah. not a test. The thing is that YouTube often does these things no, it's in small live batches. For everyone. Yeah. It's everyone. So weird. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I didn't even notice this until it was pointed out to me. Yeah. But once you notice it, you can't unsee it. I don't really mind. It's not a big deal. If I, 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 mean, me- I don't just really stupid, either. I think. Because like, okay, here's the thing. If you really want to see something full screen, you go into theater mode or you just full screen it. That's and it, true. There, like it's yeah. not adding artificial corners. Right. So I just think people are unnecessarily mad about this. Like there are a- On like, the internet? No, no, that's true. <laughs> unnecessarily mad, mad on the internet? Are you sure? Yeah. I will say the only reason I tr- well and truly think it is stupid is because there is nothing else to fill that space. I understand trying to have the same aesthetic across the board, especially with how Material U has been integrated into so much uh, or Material Design has been integrated into so much of Google's lineup. But if you were going to round those corners, you should have like hidden buttons in the corners or at least like at the bottom, have the curved corners be the ones under all of the controls, not the one under the video. It's a change for the sake of change, and I don't know why you, why they, uh, why engineers spent time on that when there are so many other things in YouTube's player that need fixing, especially yeah, the mini I mean, player. I don't want to make this a diatribe about YouTube, but like, yeah, this this is the least of their issues right now. Like, just start, yeah. like, click on a single YouTube short and start scrolling, <laughs> and it will Christ. take it. Ugh. It will take three before the channel that it gives you is some like alt right garbage that's telling you that like men have it badly in the world today and i'm just like i I don't understand like this that you are you're poisoning people like i just i can't i can't with youtube shorts youtube shorts is a failed product needs to die it is a failed product. Absolutely. People needs only to die. We we probably don't have time for this, but people really only use it because like YouTube is like borderline forcing them to yeah, like absolutely. make content but for like it. Yeah. Our, like in our industry, right? MKBHD making a, a quick short about something that he's not reviewing. Great. Yeah. Like yeah. Alex on XDA, go watch the shorts that he makes. Like the shorts that Alex makes are brilliant. They conform to the platform perfectly. They're worth your time. But most YouTube shorts are just scraps of a full video that some garbage comedian decided would be pithier in a 30-second clip. And I'm just not here for that. So anyway, that's my rant for today. I think we got to leave it there. Yeah. That's it. Uh, the, the last thing I, I do want to mention is that there's a rumor that the S24 Ultra will finally move to a flat display uh, in, 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 and, and like, I think we've said it enough on this show. Curved please, displays need to go. Please, please. The Pixel 8 Pro will almost certainly have a flat display. Yeah. Yeah. Samsung absolutely needs to follow suit. This has been happening since 2015. It is now 2023. Samsung needs to let the curved display die. Somewhere, a uh, friend of the show and guest CKD is uh, is yelling at, at us for saying this. But yeah, no, uh, uh, goodbye curved screens. I don't. I also don't like 2.5D class. Sorry. <laughs> don't. Yeah, no, I, I had to resist going off in Slack yesterday because <laughs> I was just like, no, no. Down. Love you, CKD. There are enough bad Samsung takes in the world. This is not one that you're going to hold on to. All right, let us know what you think of curved displays and everything else that we mentioned on the show. Podcast and Android Police, we love hearing from you. Will, Ara, 
Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining me on this early Friday morning. Absolutely. It's only 1030. We still have the day ahead of us. It's true. I mean, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. If you're listening to this, we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in every week with us. We will be back next week with another episode. Until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.